So I had this dream last night. Yeah, what about? I was a superhero lawyer called the Deal Closer. Oh my. Yeah, and my superpower was closing deals and giving clients high value services in short time. Well, maybe you've been influenced by Deal Closer, the pod's new sponsor. Oh, right. I mean, it makes sense. Deal Closer does have a superpower vibe that helps lawyers close deals, bill, and collect faster. It's all coming back to me now. They offer document management, collaboration, e-signing, and really easy comparisons between versions. That's right. But to be clear, I do support your superhero aspirations. I mean, you're close already. And maybe while you get there, you can use Deal Closer. It's time I work with one of the fastest growing transaction management companies in North America. And if you visit cloud.dealcloser.com slash lawyerlife, you can get an extended free trial of 30 days and a 15% discount off a monthly or one-year subscription. That's cloud.dealcloser.com slash lawyerlife. Check it out today. Welcome to the Lawyer Life Podcast, where we seek to navigate our days with a little less stress and ideally a lot more fulfillment. In this season six, we focus on resetting our lawyer brains. On today's episode, we discuss overthinking. We ask ourselves if the it depends approach actually causes anxiety and inconsistent advice. I'm Mike Anderson. And I'm Darlene Tonelli. I just think we're nailing these intros so much. In this season six. That's the third straight episode where we hit it right on the end of the song. And no redos on your part, we should mention, since you talked about that with Nisa on our mentorship episode. But you had no redos since you outed the fact that sometimes there were redos. Yeah, it's only taken three years for us to get here. So, yeah. (laughs) It's good. Yeah. So what's going on? Not much. I'm excited always, as always, to podcast. I always look forward to this time of the week and interested in today's topic. I'm hoping that I can get some assistance with my overthinking from this episode. Yeah. Hopefully you've got the ability to give me that assistance today. Yeah. Well, I mean, hopefully you too. I, and we'll get to this, but we have two different sources that we're, that we're going to bring together and find commonalities and maybe some differences to learn from. But I have to say when this, when we got into this thing of overthinking, it really made me go back to like, I think it was like a year and a half ago where we needed to buy a a new car, used car. And I literally was paralyzed (laughs) over the used car purchasing process. I could not make a decision because there's just so many different variables that I allowed into my decision making. And I just felt like there was no right decision. And it was like spreadsheets mm. and seeing, you know, what they're saying over here for price on this thing and blah, 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 mileage and blah, all that stuff. And I, it was very, very difficult. And it just came to a point where I just kind of be like, you know what? No, this is in this instance, I like this car and this is a good price and that is good enough. And it doesn't have to be the perfect decision. Mm-hmm. aided uh, a decision and, and, and that was aided by my lovely wife who was like, we got to get this done. <laughs> Right. Stop (laughs) overthinking. Yeah, that was a tough one just because there's so much data. There's just so much available to to make a decision based on. I I found that hard. Mm -hmm. Well, that's why we're going to have the the dueling overthinkers on today's call, (laughs) because I am definitely my reaction to that is sometimes to go like data minimalist, like just instinct, gut. Okay, this is what we're doing. 
sort of like gather the data, let it simmer for a second, and then just just go. Sometimes, I don't know, some of the best decisions we've made have been the ones that didn't really fit the spreadsheet. No, like they didn't, well, they weren't the best on paper. And it's interesting. I mean, we'll get into my source and I'll properly source this information in a second. But uh, the, the author that I'll feature today mentioned a study about people buying posters and that actually people who just like go into the poster store and choose the one that first speaks to them are happier with their purchase after time passes as compared to people who like really in a calculated manner try to find like the perfect poster. But that finding works for uh, superficial or uncomplicated decision making. And contrary to that, actually, there it was showed that there's value to being deliberate with like a very important decision, like what your brand new home layout construction should be. And that if you right. rush that and you keep it superficial, you actually won't be as satisfied over time. So it's context specific. But I think the fun thing for me also about this subject is that we both come from the school of don't do anything twice and keep things effectively as simple as you can, because oftentimes that drives better results. So that is kind of contrary to the overthinking model. So I feel like we have kind of the dueling, uh, what is that, the angel and the devil on the on the shoulders, mm-hmm. like an old cartoon. One's being yeah. like, think it all through and be terrified. And then the other one's like, ah, just like make it good. And it's going to be like, <laughs> be cool. <laughs> be cool. <laughs> Well, I think we can eliminate that one. <laughs> There's only speak so much Speak for yourself, can do. darling. I will. I will just speak for myself. <laughs> I did just speak for myself. <laughs> I can eliminate that one. Anyway, yeah. Yeah. So this, so to get into it, I mean, as we've said in this season six, we're doing this kind of uh, pivot sort of decision. We're doing a pivot sort of on topics that we bring up, resetting our lawyer brains by showing that things that the profession often values actually might not be as valuable as the profession treats it. And in fact, sometimes the opposite thing might be true. And so today we're talking about overthinking and the it depends approach. So to start, I feel like one of the things I heard most in law school is like the funny joke that all lawyers will say forever in the history of time is when someone asks you a question, you say, it it depends. depends. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's, that's all part of part and parcel of this overthinking issue, is it not? It is. And I think we, we learned in law school to issue spot, right? So issue spotting, I'm not sure was my main skill before law school. I think that's something we definitely learn. It's part of the education, you know, read this fact pattern and see if you can spot the issues. And I think we overemphasize, I mean, as we know, to do well on the exam, you had to know how to weight the issues, right? And know which one was the important one. Of the, of the group. But I think in practice, that's still true. But lawyers spend a lot of time saying, well, you know, this could happen and that could happen. And well, this is an outcome that maybe you hadn't thought of. And I think the, the difficult thing about our profession is that people do want answers. My take on this is you're going to speak about it from a noise perspective. Mine is going to be on really, how do you hone in on what you know is the right answer? as opposed to kind of ruminating, revisiting the same topic, but just getting a lot better about like, what's the, what is the muscle that points me to the right spot? And how do I bring that, how do I make that happen more often? Absolutely. So 
we'll walk through your your bit in a second. I think that to start, it might be helpful to just like talk about what overthinking looks like and how it manifests itself in a practical way in a lawyer's life. So what are your thoughts on that? I think for, in my own experience, I think the most detrimental, destructive form of overthinking is the, it's already done, it's already sent, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and then like, what if, and what if they say this, and what if this happens? And it's not, it's not like in the front of my mind, I don't know how to explain this very well, but it's in the back until like when something is a live issue, kind of an open window on my desktop, just wondering, thinking, what's that, what's the next step? How can I, is there something I should be doing in the interim to make this better? That kind of thing. So that's the, I find that's like grade A worst type of overthinking because there's sincerely nothing that that accomplishes Hmm. (laughs) like at all. I don't think it's just fear-based. And then I think the second type of overthinking is that same sort of what if, what if, what if, but always with the negative tied to it. You know, I don't, I don't think lawyers spend a ton of time being like, what if it's great? Or what if like none of these things come to pass? Or what if I think we're trained and rightfully so, I believe, at least to point things to the client's attention that could go wrong. And to me, it's just that sometimes we're on overdrive a little bit when when it comes to that. Yeah, that reminds me too of the whole idea of like you've you've built, let's say, a template that when you built it, you loved it uh, completely. I mean, you settled on it for a reason, right? You thought through every paragraph. And you sent it and that was that. But then for some reason, you know, a month passes and you get an ask to draft something. And that template all of a sudden becomes like this thing you have to completely rethink and revisit and scrutinize and hate, you know? Right. <laughs> and that causes, I think that the sort of rumination and overthinking you're talking about can cause that sort of behavior that I'm talking about. And in the end, you wind up with variability in your work. That means that something you thought a month ago now is different. And that's not something we want to aim for, right? We want to aim for uh, confidence and consistency as we work. So especially I'm interested in the sort of ruminating and overthinking you're thinking about. I mean, it feels like lawyer anxiety is, is driving a lot of this. Yeah. I think so. And I also think it's this idea that there is the one right, great perfect answer that we do struggle with, I think, as a profession, because that's what is required. And this idea of like, better not miss something. Hope I hope you haven't missed anything. <laughs> or sometimes the clients will say, have we, have we thought of everything here? <laughs> right? I mean, these are not abstract problems. These are real problems. It's so dependent, it seems, on just your frame of mind, right? And if yeah. you're centered, feeling good, sitting with time, unrushed, clear mind to be like, okay, what is this? (laughs) What are we working on today? What is our goal? And how do I set up a system here so that I'm really confident in my work as I go through it versus Mm -hmm. opening the email, starting to draft, firing something away and working more in that anxiety rushed base mode where it's a lot harder to feel that centered confidence because you haven't situated yourself and you haven't taken that high level view. All of a sudden you're just like in there redlining back at an indemnity clause or whatever. It feels like just frame of mind can be one thing that creates certainly different results and results that can lead to 
more rumination, more overthinking instead of being settled and confident. Yeah, I think that's right. So I'll start to talk about my source for a lot of what I want to discuss today. And that's a new book by Daniel Kahneman and some of his co-authors who are actually Oliver Sibony and Cass Sunstein. And the book is called Noise, and it covers the way that we make systemic errors in decision-making that causes variability in our judgments overall when you look at them kind of in an aggregate way. And specifically what noise is, is, is unwanted variability. So it would be like you had a scale in your bathroom and every time you went in, it was off by five pounds and then 10 pounds and then it was right on and then it was off by 20 pounds. You know, you're still the same person with the same weight, but you're getting all of these different results. And some of what we're discussing today causes noise and then that variability. And, and one thing, specifically speaking of this like template issue and being settled with your work, it actually comes in an example used in the book about sentencing guidelines and judges. And basically, the analysis showed when you solved for different circumstance in how a, a judge would sentence an individual, you solve for kind of the, the crime and the situation and severity, blah, 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 blah. There was so much noise that judges allowed in in their sentencing that the sentences varied greatly. And then, so then there was an application in some jurisdictions, this is in the US, of sentencing guidelines that kept judges in within a certain bounds to stop the variability. And judges, uh, might, it might not be surprising, did not like that. And then in the example they give in the book, once the guidelines were removed, the noise came back and the variability thus came back. So one thing that's interesting for me when we like talk about lawyers and obviously judges in this instance is that we sometimes feel like the constraint of the sentencing guidelines or the constraint of the template, which we have thought through and with step backs and all these set formulas constrain us and remove our ability to use our intellect, our experience and all those sort of things that they you know, kind of sabotage what we're actually trying to do. But in fact, it actually just allows you to do it properly and consistently without that anxiety driving you, without all these other things that can actually make you give different advice based on the same circumstances. Right. Yep, that speaks to me for sure. So you had, you had your own source, you had your own thing that you wanted to bring to the conversation. Did you want to introduce that and walk us through a bit of the, the thinking on that side? Well, I'm pondering, I mean, what you've just said, I've also thought of it as noise, but as I was listening to you speak, it's, uh, I think it's a different, it's a, a variation on, on a similar theme, but what I related to it, I actually picked it up because the book was called Soundtracks. And obviously being a music person, I was like, oh, well, what is this about? But the book is called Soundtracks, The Surprising Solution to Overthinking by an author called John Acuff. And what he describes in his book, which was very pertinent to me, was he says that you basically always have these soundtracks playing in your, in your mind. So, and they can be, in his case, he was speaking about negative soundtracks. Like I can't write a book because I don't have enough time, or I'll never be a published author because I don't have any idea how to do that. So he, he grounds it sort of firmly within the publishing context because he's a writer. When I was reading the book, though, I was thinking, well, I probably have some of these soundtracks. And what was interesting was his framing. 
he said that the way that perfectionists generally, and I think not even just perfectionists, people in our society are trained to think about this issue, is you're looking for a switch to turn off the noise or the soundtrack. And what he realized, and is kind of, I guess, an important thing about this book, is he says that it's not a switch. There's no magic solution. You don't go and like one day you stop overthinking per se, but you can learn all of these mechanisms to turn down the dial. So it's not a switch, it's a dial. You can do things that will help make it more prevalent or less. And that is my experience with this type of overthinking is if I am, and partially why I'm so engaged in this question of how to have work-life balance and keep myself in a high-performing mental, physical condition is because I really believe that when I'm being reactive, when I'm overworked, when I'm tired, when I'm not eating well, when I'm overcaffeinated, overthinking just kicks into high gear. And that's basically the state of our profession most of the time. So what he suggests is coming up in your life with some ways that you turn down the volume. And I related to a lot of them. So one of them was running or getting endorphins going, which is, he says, immediately turns down the noise in your mind. And I definitely experienced that. Uh, he also talks about building Lego, <laughs> spoken like a parent. <laughs> I don't know if it works that way for me, but I think getting engaged with something with the kids certainly works. Get this one, Mike, lists. Mm-hmm. Right? So that's a big way that he takes down chaos in his mind into like, okay, if it's on a list, great. And then one that you and I have spoken about on the podcast before, although not tying it to overthinking. But he says that the surest cure to doing, to getting away from overthinking is to do a minor task that's achievable. So that's a tip that we see coming up over and over across all different things that we cover in the podcast. But just this idea that when you've got a big thing to do, just like get a win somewhere, fold the laundry, start the dishwasher, then go back to what you're doing. So that was one. And then one that I have found really beneficial is friends who can correct your soundtrack. So sharing what your brain is saying with a friend or a colleague, if it's a file matter, but that is so helpful because sometimes I say things out loud to my friends that have been in my mind about whatever. And they're, they just like, look at me like, no, <laughs> like that's not, no, like that's not the way that I would look at it. And I think that there's something to that, which is it's so much easier to hear someone else say something about their life and know that it's wrong than for the person themselves to see it. So that was a helpful tip, I thought. And if you're interested in this line of thinking, he actually has 50 more tips in the book. So that those are just the five that I thought we would start with. But yeah, really good. And he's, he's very engaged as well in changing what the soundtrack is saying, which is another big component of the book that I found very, very helpful. So is the soundtrack effectively the soundtrack just preventing you from starting to do something? Is that what the discussion well, is? Sort of. It's basically these, the soundtrack is this repetitive thought that is just automatically playing in the back of your head and it's kind of driving your behavior, right? So I think that in the form of overthinking with soundtracks, it's sort of like your brain is thinking, oh, there's something else I could be doing on this. Or did I catch everything? Did I catch everything? Like it, when, if you think about some of the things that you have in your mind or the what if, what if the other side does whatever, all of those things I would put as soundtracks. And then I would also add to them things like self-defeating thoughts or even stuff like I don't have enough time in the day 
that's a really negative soundtrack to be repeating. There aren't enough hours in the day or one day when I have time, like those type of soundtracks I find just need to be eliminated. And he's got tips on how to do that. So yeah, it's like a form of ruminating, but it's almost like you're not even aware in his book, which I think is slightly different than what you're saying. Yeah, well, I think that actually those, it's kind of like that, that book is about, hey, there's a bunch of like stuff that can affect how you do your work, right? Yeah. And the Kahneman noise book that I'm talking about is like, here are the results of that, you know, <laughs> basically. <Right. laughs> so in your instance, your the soundtrack, so to speak, is anything that could cause you to stray from the path that you otherwise would have taken when you're doing your work, right? So if, for example, you focus too heavily on one sort of issue because that's the thing that scares you the most, even though it's not the most important thing, uh, or you're at the end of your day and you're like, I have to get this out. I have to get this out because the client expectation, this or that, or the other thing, right? All these Mm -hmm. sort of unhelpful things, soundtracks, I guess, (laughs) playing in your head are the noise that then causes you to create a varied result, right? So it's the same sort of thing for judges where the example about sentencing guidelines for judges, we're not talking about bias. That's different. And, and, And the book does speak about how bias is a separate thing. Actually, bias is very predictable, right? So if you had a bullseye, if we're talking about bias only, bias is going to hit the same thing every single time. You'll be a little bit to the left of the bullseye Mm -hmm. because of your bias. But the noise causes you to be all over the bullseye. Right. It's unpredictable because you're allowing these things to enter into your life that you otherwise wouldn't. And so um, I think there is a consistency there. It's like your, your book is the beginning of the story and my book is the end of the story on why it comes up and its effects on our work, uh, which is actually uh, a fascinating thing, considering we, we just thought that they, these things might just overlap. I think they actually might be more yeah, linear than we thought. Well, we were supposed to have a vigorous debate about it, <laughs> but then it turns out we're sort of on the same page and have layered on the, the self-help resources. I think what would be fascinating too is us to, to turn to the solutions right, that both books offer. And I do know that there is some commonality there just on uh mm-hmm. to start well you mentioned lists and one thing that that kahneman and his authors uh, do recommend uh, first of all he recommends i mean the best way to t- dial down the noise is to figure out an algorithm <laughs> so it's uh, obvious mm-hmm. uh, the second best thing uh, <laughs> uh is failing to, that yeah is to <laughs> adopt procedures that promote consistency and that can right. be across employees if you're an organization or just across your practice if you're an individual to make sure that similar methods are used to seek information, integrate it, and translate it to make a decision. And so you could use user-friendly tools like checklists, carefully formulated questions, guides to collect information, and sort of speak a playbook on how you think as a template you can make decisions based on a certain issue. And we We've spoke about this in previous episodes, especially the way that lawyer models are evolving. When you do something once, it's a huge advantage to treat it as its own product that can be scaled, right? Yeah. And so the only way 
that you can achieve scale as a lawyer is by taking this point of view, is by saying, I have this, okay, so this is a discrete issue sent to me by a client, but what if I can formulate my approach and the document to actually be something that I can repeat? And I've done this, we haven't talked about actually the thing I developed <laughs> during the last season, which was, you know, start your right. own thing. But I developed and launched this service called Logum, L-A-G-O-M, which is a Swedish word meaning just the right amount. And it's, a, it's basically an online tool that creative individuals can use to access 30 minutes of my uh, legal advice and uh, in the end, a uh, contract they can use for their business. I was forced to do exactly what we're talking about when I was creating Logum because it's most of my intake. My entire intake is through an online form and it's by subcategory. So if you're a photographer, I have a list of fields that you need to fill out so that I have the information I need to develop your photographer agreement. I had to sit there, figure out what I needed to know, you know, <laughs> what the fields yeah. were going to be in the template. What also I didn't need because I didn't want the, given the name and the drive of this whole thing, I wanted it to be just the right amount. I didn't want things to get overcomplicated. But what this means is that when I get in my, like an intake form from when, when a photographer buys a product on the site, I'm confident that I like that this is the right information that I am, can quite easily translate this into an agreement after a brief chat. And that drives consistent service from me. It drives confidence in my service. And also then as a corollary, a lower price point service for the client. So <laughs> I know that this is you know a bit of a tangent and we're moving a bit, but taking overthinking out of it, dialing down the noise by implementing a standard process that I have carefully thought through means that it's no longer an ad hoc one-off to get a, a phone call from a photographer that says they need an agreement, right? I'm just like, okay, cool. Here's the process. Go for it. And that just drives great results. So yeah. great, because I think that, that that will take care of the overthinking by the model, as opposed to having to like always treat it as a self-help thing. And so understanding mm -hmm. that to start can be a really big motivator to then do the work to dial down the noise and start to implement those set checklists, those helpful tools that will rein you in, dial down the noise. And so you can focus on the important stuff and not get distracted by those soundtracks and those things, Darlene, that you've mentioned. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sounds great. <laughs> Sounds <laughs> good to me. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is good. Hopefully listeners will take away a few tips to decrease overthinking whether through the business model itself or through the work on the thought patterns okay cool so hopefully that is true and <laughs> uh, as yes. always we will uh, take a break and we'll be back with our goods and grapes The Lawyer Life Podcast is brought to you by Interalia Law. Interalia lawyers have big firm training, in-house experience, and a wide range of expertise in technology, media, and entertainment. Our advice is business-focused, speedy, and practical. To learn more, visit interalialaw.com. That's I-N-T-E-R-A-L-I-A-Law.com. And we are back with our goods and gripes. Goods are things we want to promote and support, and gripes are things that annoy us. Okay. Darlene, 
Okay. So a good, I posted this on Instagram today on my uh, main feed. And I basically just in my, I found something that I used to use in figure skating competitions as a kid. It's called the winner's creed. Anyway, it was really neat to come up with it again because uh, my mom gave it to me when I was heading off to my first competition. And we're talking like 35 years ago. And it's, she was a big time early adopter on the positive thinking train. So I just thought it was a good because she had given me this, this sort of your thoughts are important kind of uh, little thing. It's just like a poem kind of, I guess you would call it. And then, but the other thing I thought was, huh, I wonder if I'll pass this along to my own kids. So that's mm. for discussion because I'm not, I would focus less on winning probably. But anyway, that was a good, it was really nice to come across that and to remember that this has been part of my life for a very long time, long before I started actively working on it, I guess. Cool. So that's my good. Yeah. That's okay. And it's still intact because my mom has an ability to keep things beyond all understandable <laughs> probabilities. So yeah, it was good. Parents. Uh, I know. I got basements. How about you? Uh, so I, I, I tried... I, I, I wish I wasn't mentioning a source we mentioned all the time, but it, it was just like a light bulb went off in my head when I was reading something from the Daily Stoic recently in the past like week or two. And it finally like, I finally understand what we're trying to do here, I think, <laughs> because of it. And the, the it, basically it was a metaphor of your immune system. And the metaphor applies to all the stuff we're doing for self-improvement, right? And it's that it's not that somebody who is in, in that instance, like trying to be a stoic or in our instance, just like focused on all these different ways to self-improve. It's not that we don't incur problems and it's not that our life then becomes smooth. And, you know, I'm so <laughs> tempted to say, well, I don't think you're doing it right, Mike. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but. But it's that you try to develop this, these knowledge, these systems, manners of thinking, all these sort of things so that when the issues do arise, like a strong immune system, you're able to deal with it and keep going, right? You're not struck down by it. And, and, and to bring the metaphor all the way there, you're not ill in bed because X thing happened. You're able to deal with it and maintain. And that just yeah. like totally i was like okay finally like yes <laughs> you know it's just such an easy way to explain it it's not that someone who meditates just floats through the day it's that when stuff comes up they have the capacity to deal with it and i just uh, i love the metaphor that is my good and it applies to the subject matter today right it's it's that if you do the work in advance and you're thoughtful about it when some noise or a bad soundtrack does enter your your brain you can easily deal with it and push it away or more easily deal with it and push it away than if you didn't do all this advanced work right so i don't know i just loved it it was it, just something that encapsulated so much of what i've been thinking about lately and an easy way to explain people why i think you know, our efforts that we describe on this podcast and our own personal efforts otherwise have value and, and don't mean that we are just, uh, we've have it all figured out. Right. Do people think that? Do you think? No, but <laughs> it's, I think, I think it's tempting. I it's think it's tempting. like, I, I, I mean, I do, I, I, I think I project that onto people who do all the stuff, all the yoga and you meditate and work out and you look fit. And it's like, okay, then you probably everything is just easy for you. Uh, 
<laughs> but actually, it's like, no, those people do it so that, like, oftentimes the people that do it are the people that need it the most, right? So I, I, on that note, I was listening to a great interview with uh, Bill Hader and Mike Verbiglia on Mike Verbiglia's podcast called Working It Out. And they were both kidding around about how they just have to do so much work <laughs> to feel okay. <laughs> like just to get to okay, it just takes like so much, you know, hitting this routine, doing this, doing that, and that it's like, okay, yeah. I feel okay. So anyway, that's, that's where my head's at. And both of those things were, were good in my view this week. But you know, what's funny about that is that I think, I think what I've noticed lately is I think that having high standards for ourselves is very good. But I think that you have to also build out the other side of it, which is to build out like self-compassion and empathy and tools to not let that verge over into something that isn't good. And I think that what happens with a lot of lawyers is that we, we have super like crazy high standards and no coping skills for how to manage that in our lives. So I think you could be in a role where you could probably get through the day with far less work if it doesn't demand as much from you. Like, like for example, a profession that tries to strip you of any authenticity or personality. <laughs> Tune in next time <laughs> for our episode on dot, dot, dot. Yes, yeah. good one. That yeah, was like a real yeah. lead into our next episode. Oh. We're so organized now. Yeah. Yeah. High standards. Okay. Yeah. Do you have a gripe? I don't think so. Oh, okay. Anyway, well, thanks for this. Okay. It's been fun. Yep. It's been great. And we will talk soon. Talk soon. That's it for this week's episode of LLP. Thanks to Inter Alia Law for presenting the podcast and to Nick Fowler for composing and performing our music. See our show notes for his website. Don't forget, we love feedback. Please comment in the review section or subscribe or like. We'd appreciate it greatly. That's it. Talk soon.